You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Stand for the reading of Scripture. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind, or their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tent remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Let's pray. Well, Father, we have been singing about your holiness all morning. And Lord, we believe that you are a holy God. And we recognize that unrighteous, sinful men and women, boys and girls, cannot stand in your presence unless our sin is atoned for. So, Father, this morning, as we, in a sense, come into your presence, hearing your word, may our hearts be open to the sin that resides in them, and may we, with confession and repentance, turn to you that we might Ask what it is you want of us and that we might praise your name for the gift of Jesus who makes it possible for us to pray to you this morning and to anticipate and expect eternal life with you. We're grateful for all of that and it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. In August of uh, this year, I will have been blessed to be the teaching pastor at Grace Community Church 20 years. There's only one other time in all of those years I can remember asking you to stand and read the scripture right at the very first. That was when the introduction of Hebrews because it starts the same way that Isaiah 6 starts. Why today? Uh, I, I imagine you already know. The encounter, the profound encounter that Yahweh, that Isaiah had with Yahweh and it, the, of Israel was immediate. It was out of the blue. It was just all of a sudden. He was worshiping in the temple. And then there's this amazing <coughs> scene. He did not get warning that he would be instantly in the presence of the Lord. 
Well, I say it was Isaiah's encounter with Yahweh, but wouldn't it be more accurate to say it was Yahweh's encounter with Isaiah? Certainly, it was at Yahweh's initiative. If Isaiah had previously thought about um, such an encounter and wanting such an encounter, I, I suppose he was disabused of the wisdom of that thought. The instant he saw the Lord, he's like, oh, no, this is way more than I expected. You know, when people say, you know, it'd be really cool if we could just see the Lord, if we could just be, uh, let's learn from Isaiah. So here's a question that scholars have. Was Isaiah in the temple at Jerusalem, or did this scene take place in heaven? There is debate. I, I'm content to understand that Isaiah was in the, the temple at Jerusalem. Uh, the concern, it seems, is that he would have needed to be at least at the doorway of the Holy of Holies. And only one person a year went into the Holy of Holies. That was the high priest. But who was Isaiah seeing? When Isaiah saw Yahweh, was he seeing God the Father? God the Son? God the Holy Spirit? Isaiah would have only stood one God, the Holy One of Israel. Wouldn't have likely called him Father. Now, I say that, and I'm sure we'll come across a passage where he may. Isaiah rarely describes God with just one word. He's usually the Lord of hosts, Lord, the Holy One of Israel. It's, it's, it's a magnified and expansive kind of description that Isaiah frequently uses for the Lord. So he <clears throat> comes to the Lord and sees not a great deal of the Lord, but who was he seeing? Even if Isaiah saw into the Holy of Holies, remember, Jesus is the one who breaks down the barriers to God. And John 12 tells us that it was Jesus that Isaiah was seeing. John 12 quotes Isaiah 53 and also uh, this portion or a portion of Isaiah 6. The connection that the Apostle John made with Isaiah's prophecy is worth considering. John 12, 35 to 41, which also engages the, the darkness and theme light from last week. Verse 35 in John 12. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. While you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. This was just before uh, his crucifixion, the day before. So that the word might, the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah 53, 1. <clears throat> Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, and Isaiah said, and there, I've messed up the slide there. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. In other words, John is saying that Isaiah, when he had this encounter with the Lord, was encountering Jesus. Remember this as we proceed through Isaiah 6 this morning. Imagine you would come to church early this morning because the king of the land, if we had a king, anyway, the king of the land who had been king for 52 years and was a good king, let's imagine that this king had died. This king had your best interest in mind. He really cared for the people. He'd made a foolish mistake about 10 years earlier. Uh, he went into the temple and did things that only a priest was supposed to do. And the Lord struck him with leprosy because of his pride. And so for the last 10 years, Uzziah and his son Jotham had been co-regents. 
sort of Joseph took over the day-to-day because Isaiah had to be isolated because of his leprosy. Um, So uh, Jotham was taken over, and while he seems like a good guy, power changes people. You're probably not aware of that, but (laughs) if a good person is elected to a political office, you just better pray for him because it is very difficult. And, and, And Isaiah didn't know, and maybe he was in a place where he really needed to see the Lord. And he saw the Lord at a much greater, with a much greater intensity than he ever dreamed. So you're praying here in the sanctuary. You're all by yourself. <coughs> and instantly you see this great throne. And the being on who sat on the throne, well, indescribable. You can't really describe, so you just don't even talk about the person. You just walk out and say, the train of his robe filled the entire sanctuary. There are six winged angels who are fiery, maybe with flames bursting out from them. That's what seraph means, fiery. And the ending, seraphim, is, is, it's plural in the Hebrew. So there were several of these six winged angels. Angels standing or flying because with two wings they flew. They're speaking or singing antiphonally back and forth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Back and forth they sing. And as the fiery servants of the Lord speak, the building shakes. And you're in here by yourself. How do you feel? There is no way to fully recreate the scene of which the prophet Isaiah was a part. When you consider Isaiah's response, know that this is the prophet who has repeatedly called out Israel for their sins. He's going to stand before kings and rebuke them. Just openly, publicly rebuke them. You think it would be a good idea to go into the uh, Oval Office and rebuke the president no matter who he is? You think that would be a good idea? No, your name's in tweets tomorrow, right? You you see yourself on Twitter. Um, But you would not do it no matter who it was. You wouldn't go in. You really didn't do that to a king. Isaiah was going to do that. A godly man speaking For the Lord. Some scholars think that the event of Isaiah 6 occurred at the very beginning of Isaiah's communion with the Lord. But others see see no reason to think that Isaiah 6 is nothing more than a segue between this first introductory five chapters. And then the rest where he's speaking generally about the sins of Israel. And now he's going to move to uh, speaking uh, specific prophets. Next week, we're going to see how he speaks to Ahaz and, and, and talks about the virgin birth of Christ that will, he's pointing forward to the virgin birth of Christ, but he talks very specifically to people in the future. When he sees the Lord, though, this man who calls out sins right and left is confronted with his own sin. And he said, woe is me, for I am lost I am a man of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. How is it that a prophet of God, one who has represented God accurately and faithfully, should say, I am lost, for I am a sinful man? It's fairly simple. If you know Scripture... At all, when you compare the righteousness of any human being with the righteousness of God, well, you end up with the same conclusion Isaiah comes to and and, and writes, prophesies and writes in Isaiah 64, verse 6. All of our righteousness, there is unclean garments, they're filthy before the Lord. So there really is no righteousness on our part. There's only sin, and Isaiah cries out, In recognition that no one, not Billy Graham, not you, not me, not even the prophet Isaiah, is clean before the Lord. And no one is worthy to stand in God's presence. 
is this Lord of hosts before whom Isaiah stood? Holy, 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 cried the seraphim. As Ray Ortland states, Ray Ortland Jr., he says, this is not one plus one plus one. This is perfection times perfection times perfection. The scripture rarely in the Old Testament uses this threefold expansive kind of description of anyone or anything. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Since we know that Isaiah was seeing Jesus, do you think maybe there's a Trinitarian implication in this thrice holy God? What does it mean that God is holy? Well, He's holy as the creator of all material and all living things. The one who is other than all creation. He can't be like creation because he is the one who brought it into existence by the word of his mouth. By the way, word of his mouth. Speech act theory. David, on Friday, he was praying for the students at Campbell. He defends his his dissertation for his Ph.D., uh, work this Friday, so be in prayer for David this week. And a lot of it, uh, of what David is studying, talks about the impact of the Lord's word. He speaks and the worlds came into existence. He speaks into his life. The gospel accomplishes, always accomplishes, the preaching of the gospel always accomplishes the purpose for which it was intended, which is not always positive, and we're going to be seeing that in this text. So, God is other than, but he is also holy because he is a moral and ethical God. Three times in Leviticus, God says, be holy or one of those three. He says, you shall be holy because I am holy. Or you are holy to me that last time, he said, because I am holy. Last week in Isaiah 5, we saw That God expects his people to treat one another fairly. To meditate on him rather than losing themselves in distraction through drinking and other pleasures. And to let God determine what is good and what is evil. Let God determine that. Look, whenever you're talking about things to which the Bible speaks. And you're tempted to say, well I just think... Stop yourself. What is important is what God says. Not what I think. Not what I've been trained to think by other people. Either this matters or it doesn't. And when you say, well, I, I know the Bible says this, but I just think. No, look, you can say, look, let me under, let's understand the cultural context and how this is a command or it's a principle? What is it? Is this, is, is this good for a time and not for another time? Uh, so, yes, under, under, understand that. But when you start saying, well, I just believe. My, my former pastor, Randy Parker, said he was talking with a lady. And he was talking about something. And she says, well, you know, my mama always said. And he says, but, you know, the Bible says. And she said, yeah, but, you know, well, I just think. And he said, but the Bible says, and that went on about four times. And finally, the last time he said, he said, but the Bible says, and she said, I don't care what the, and caught herself. But that's where a lot of us live our lives. If we're honest, I really don't care what the Bible says. Here's a question that needs to be asked today. Culture is changing quickly. Quickly. Does God change? The obvious answer is no. Are his expectations for justice and sexual purity the same today as they were in Isaiah's time? They are. Most people think that the Old Testament saints lived under God's law, and in the New Testament, we're living in a day of grace. Grace was very much in evidence in the Old Testament, as we're going to see in Isaiah. Law is very much in evidence here, as in that there are almost twice as many commands given in the New Testament as there are 
the Old Testament, and they're much tougher than the Old Testament laws because we have to worry about attitudes as well as actions. I've said that recently, and some of you weren't even here when I said it, so you're new, and I wanted you to hear it in this context. Although the ceremonial and civic laws of Israel are no longer binding, the moral and ethical laws have not changed. Just because you are able to justify cheating others for profit and call it business, God hasn't changed. Even though your close friends encourage you to pursue your dreams above your religious inclinations, God has not changed. Just because the culture has become far more accepting of couples sleeping and or living together outside of marriage, God hasn't changed one bit. If you were to encounter Isaiah as God did, maybe I should say that in a different way. That's a little bit of pastoral dyslexia. If you were to encounter God as Isaiah did, you would never again have questions about his holiness or his expectations for you. You may fail to follow through on what you know to be right, but it would clear up your thoughts about, wonder if this is okay now or not, real quickly. No wonder Isaiah was undone. He knew that very few people ever saw the Lord, and no one expected to be in the presence of the Lord like this and live. Isaiah's cry was one of deep repentance over his own sinful nature, which was utterly revealed in the presence of the holy God. Yahweh did not tell Isaiah to perform some great deed in order to redeem himself, but rather he extended grace to Isaiah as the angel, as the seraphim, the seraph took a coal from the altar with tongs and brought it over and touched Isaiah's lips. And declared that his guilt was gone and his sin was atoned for. Why the lips? I don't know, maybe because the speech reveals the heart just like, I don't care what the Bible says. Sooner or later we get around to it. If you talk long enough. Lawyers are very good at that, you know. You always love that moment when the lawyer gets them to say it. You can't handle the truth. Okay. You know, you just love that. Sooner or later, it comes out, and maybe that's why the lips. Did the coal burn Isaiah's lips? I mean, did he, did he have that disfiguring mark from there on? Again, I don't know. Uh, the angel picked up the coal with tongues, but maybe it's because it was extra holy. There was fire and smoke everywhere, but the temple wasn't consumed. There's some debate about which altar is referenced in this scene. Was it the altar where animals were sacrificed? That would make sense. Or was it the incense, altar of incense, sacrifice of praise? Or could it have even been, as Ezekiel 10 talks about, this scene, this vision of God, that, that, that God is on a throne that's kind of elevated, and then below the throne there is an altar where there are coals burning. And maybe it was even that kind of an altar. But whatever your conclusion, sacrifice was implied. God was pointing to a sacrifice that would end all sacrifices and would atone for our sin. The cross of Jesus. How do we know this? Well, we learn it over time. We, we, we learn in layers. And lots of times when you're studying the Bible and you've been in there for many years, you, you look at something and you're just astounded because here's a connection I never really made before. But it's there. If you're new here at Grace and you're learning, you're learning a lot, but you're confused like, well, I, there are things I just don't know. Let me just encourage you uh, and challenge you to remain at Grace for one year. If you are, then I'm confident that your understanding of Scripture will improve, not because 
I'm the, I'm the guy up here preaching. Look, this summer there are going to be a lot of guys preaching. I'm going to be gone for two months, except being here and there. I'm, I'm, I'm on sabbatical uh, this summer. And so, but it's what the elders approve to be preached from this pulpit. So take a little bit of time to get to understand the emphasis, especially on grace that we have, although reading Isaiah probably doesn't feel like it. Isaiah reminds us why we need God's grace so much. Time and again, Isaiah's prophecy will point to the virgin-born Son of God, who, as the righteous servant, will allow himself to be beaten beyond human recognition and crucified as a sacrifice, his blood serving as a propitiation for our sin. Now, propitiation, it's a fancy word that means satisfaction. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus and his righteous anger and wrath was satisfied as, this, as Jesus absorbed the punishment that we deserved. Romans 3 talks about Jesus' blood is, our, is the propitiation uh, for sin. The idea is God was satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice, but as John Stott goes so far to say is, Look, God's wrath was exhausted on Jesus, which is a good thing. If somebody's really mad at you and he's really mad at the other person and he just he gets in a, like a death fight with this person over here and he's exhausted, maybe you can sneak out before, you know, he can recover. His... God's wrath was exhausted on Jesus. And by the way, when we quote the Apostles' Creed and we quote it in its original language, he descended into hell doesn't mean he went to hell and suffered. That's not what the early Christians would have understood. That's not what we understand. It's like he descended into the grave in the Hades, into the grave. Second Peter talks about Jesus. I believe it's Second Peter <laughs> preaching to the spirits in prison. Maybe that happened during those three days. But, but when Jesus said it is finished, the sacrifice was fully, fully paid for. And how appropriate that the angel takes... <clears throat> A coal off the, 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 the altar where sacrifices are made or where praise is given to God because of, that it, that's associated <coughs> with the sacrifices. That God is a God who forgives our sin. That is the gospel. When we believe we're brought into the covenant family. Although God forgives us in a moment, it'll take a lifetime to, to, to explore the depths of the gospel. Did Isaiah understand the gospel as we do? No, he did not. But we are the beneficiaries of his faithful service to the Lord. 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12 explains the role that Isaiah and other prophets were given in God's plan. Concerning this salvation that God has blessed us with, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated, indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Isaiah, particularly in Isaiah 53, uh, prophesied the sufferings of Christ. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Isaiah, I'm sure, is like, Lord, what do you mean by all this? I don't understand this. And the Lord was saying, Isaiah, my plan will be revealed in time. They understood it would be the Messiah. They just didn't know any, nobody knew about a suffering Messiah. Although Isaiah prophesied it, David did in Psalm 22. <clears throat> so it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. <coughs> Things into which angels <coughs> now look. How were Old Testament saints saved? The same way we are, trusting the promises of God, although we understand the promises to be fulfilled in Christ. But the Old Testament saints knew that God was pointing to some great work 
in the future. And even though the prophets <clears throat> would have had no concept of the Trinity, they knew that God was up to something amazing. And it likely had to do with the Messiah, whom we know to be Jesus. When Isaiah was cleansed of his sin, it was revealed in the presence of a holy God. His heart was filled with the desire <clears throat> to please the Lord. And he, <clears throat> God said, whom shall I send? <clears throat> Excuse me. Who will go for us? Isaiah quickly said, here I am. Send me. Oh, me, me, me. Let me be the one. <clears throat> I want to go for you. God commissioned Isaiah to go and preach his word to the people who would then respond in mass acceptance of God's word, correct? No. God's word preached by Isaiah would have a hardening impact and effect on many who would hear. I was so grateful for Ben's honesty about the difficulty of ministry. This morning when he was up here, ministry is tough. It's difficult. And I, I, I recognize that we could be talking about funds, you know, finances and stuff like this. But, but seriously, people oftentimes just don't want to hear what you've got to say. And the fact is, is that you have no choice about saying it. You have to say it. God has commissioned you to say it. You've got to speak or die. And... Look, the day may very well come in our land where any of us who preach the gospel say, if you keep speaking, you are going to die. You know, I'm going to make sure of that. Verses 9 and 10 of Isaiah 6 are either directly quoted or alluded to in all four gospels and the book of Acts. Now think about the implications of this. All four gospels, the book of Acts... Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, or 10, are quoted. And these are difficult words. I, I don't know how to explain them other than to say, He is God and I'm not. As we saw in John 3 last week, all men and women without Christ are under condemnation. <clears throat> but God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to come so that some might be saved. You know, it might seem when you, when you think about this, it's, it's really a difficult, difficult thing to understand the ways of God. And once again, we tend to explain God through an American culture lens, especially of fairness. And when God says preach and, 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 and make sure you preach the gospel in such a way that their ears are heavy and their eyes are blinded, we don't want them to see so that they might respond to the gospel. You're like, what? What is that about? How does that connect? How does that uh, explain in light of the verses that talk about God's deep love for us? I think the best explanation is this is who we are. And the gospel has an effect one way or the other on people as they hear. It would be nice at some point to just come to the place to say, look, it's not up to me. I'm just going to preach the gospel. God can do it. And if you get saved, hey, that's great. If you don't, well, okay. I'll just move on to the next person. But such a heart, such an attitude would reveal a hard heart that is not at all like the Father who desires that all men come to a knowledge of himself, First Timothy 2, 3, and 4, I think. Maybe it's one, three, and four. We don't want that kind of heart. Are you able to sense Isaiah's broken heart when he asks the Lord, How long? How long must I preach to an unresponsive people? When will they turn and be forgiven of their sins? Unfortunately for Isaiah, the news wasn't good. Until cities lie waste without habitation, inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Now, starting next week, we're going to be talking about some of the political things that were going on in Isaiah's time. 
And Assyria was the immediate threat at this particular time. Assyria never conquered Jerusalem. Uh, they, they conquered much of Judah, but they didn't conquer Jerusalem. Babylon would do that eventually, and that's what he's talking about. The Assyrians were some of the cruelest conquerors in the history of the world. And one of the reasons that they were so cruel was is that they would take people from a land and they would make them intermarry with uh, other nations. That's where the Samaritans came from. When the Assyrians took Israel, the northern tribes, they took them off and they made them intermarry. So Jews looked down on Samaritans because they had intermarried. They were no longer pure. And you say, well, hey, Jesus loved them. That's right. But look at Ezra and Nehemiah, what those guys said about people who had married those outside of the Jewish religion. It was difficult. It was difficult for people to piece it all together. Man, you would want to hear from Ezra instead of Nehemiah if you were one of those people. Ezra got so mad he pulled his beard and hair out. Nehemiah got so mad he pulled your beard and hair out. These guys were upset about it. That they had allowed this to take place. And they said, we've got to be pure. And look, again, was God a racist? No. Not at all. He was painting a picture of a pure people. It's by the way. It is the reason, by the way. Be very, very, very careful about marrying an unbeliever. In fact, New Testament would say don't. Because the people of God who have been blessed to have all the racial and ethnic and, and, and culture of barriers broken down in Jesus. We are one in Christ. But God says do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So be careful and pray by the way. Because there are a lot more young Christian women than there are Christian men. And. Now I'm really going to get in trouble for saying this. Christian ladies. If you have a Christian man that loves you. Be careful before you say, ah, something better may come along. If you've got a guy that really loves the Lord, he loves you, you may want to think twice before you walk away. The culture will tell you, are you happy? Does he make you happy? Uh, I just don't think God would want you to be unhappy. I've got more granddaughters and I've got grandsons. I pray about this. It's a big deal. Man, where have I gone this morning? Let me get back. <laughs> um, today's message opened with the question of how you would like to have been Isaiah. As he experienced the raw power and holiness of God. And now it is good to ask, how would you like to receive a commission from God like Isaiah received at the end of this encounter. I'm sure there are some countries in which uh, believers resonate with Isaiah's message because so few people in the land respond positively to the gospel. And they feel like no matter what they say and do, it doesn't matter. Just when it must have felt the darkest to Isaiah, God gave a word of hope in verse 13. And though a tenth remain in it, in the land, there's a remnant that will remain. It will be burned again. <clears throat> God's going to thin out the remnant like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. And somewhere in this stump, the holy seed takes root and life forms. As the Apostle Peter reminded us in his first letter, Isaiah didn't know what God was saying. Uh, the stump in which life was to be found after major destruction was Jesus. Furthermore, as Romans 11 reminds us, Gentiles, look, we were brought into the family because of the unbelief of the Jews. And you say, how is that fair? Quit thinking about fairness. God 
doesn't care about your sense of fairness. God is holy. And if you're standing before him in this scene that Isaiah is in, you just say, God, whatever you do is right. And you may think this is awful, but God is, what he says to Isaiah about how there's only a tenth remaining and then it's going to be burned. But he gives this amazing word of hope. Again, somehow God just balancing all things out in the ways that will make so much sense to us one day. It says that the Gentiles have been brought in because of the unbelief of the Jews. But Isaiah would have understood this holy seed to be the people of Israel. And he would be right. Romans 11 tells us also that the Jews en masse will be saved. In the end, they will turn to God and thus return to God and thus they will turn to Jesus. That's how prophecy works, by the way. A little bit here, a little bit there. Maybe it has a double meaning. Maybe there's even multiple meanings. We'll see this as we go. And you think, how can I ever? Give it time. We learn in layers. We learn over time. It'll make sense as we go. I've thought a good bit lately about how the unbelief of the Jewish people, whose scriptures pointed directly to Jesus, strengthens my faith rather than weakens it. It's highly unlikely that anyone could have come up <clears throat> with a plan. Someone could have pieced all the prophecies together quickly enough after Jesus' death and what we believe was his resurrection to establish a credible religion, the kind of religion that thousands, hundreds of thousands would be prepared to give their life for in the years not long removed from Jesus' death, uh, burial, and resurrection. We're barely into the study of Isaiah, and Jesus is everywhere in the text. And the New Testament writers, not just Paul, he was the primary one, but all of them, it all fit together God was doing this all along. Isaiah didn't get it, but he wrote for our benefit. This week in home groups, you'll be reflecting on Isaiah 6. If you're not in a home group, may I encourage you to ask the Lord to help you overcome your shyness, your distractions, your hurt. Hurts just from, from former churches. Maybe even in this church you've been hurt and you just don't want to get that close to people. But overcome that and check out a few groups to see where uh, the Lord would have you land. I know, look, I know some of you are shy and you say, I don't want to go to a home group. I, I don't want people to be about my business. I'm just going to stay home and be on Facebook. <laughs> okay, if you didn't get that, ask somebody who laughed. And they'll, they'll home groups are important for several reasons. Please let me just give you two especially good reasons. First... It's already true, but as our church grows, it's going to be more and more difficult for you to receive the kind of care that you need to if you're not in a home group. Home group is going to be your first line of defense for all your material, physical, spiritual needs. I, I know there are factors that make it difficult for you to at attend a home group. Some of you age, different, just, the, the, you know, you've got 14 kids I think some of you have that many. <laughs> Whatever. It's difficult to do homework. I understand that. Push past it. Get into it. It's the spiritual care that's the second point of focus that I want to mention. Week after week, when members of our home group reflect on the sermon, I I'm thinking, wow. I, need to, I should have this group on Sunday night and talk about the sermon that I plan to preach on Sunday morning. Because it would be a whole lot better sermon if these guys would think about it before I preached it. Theology cannot, it's not, it's not that it, it's, it's not as good by yourself. It can't be done in isolation. When you sit down and all of us are doing theology. When we pick up the Bible, you're doing theology. The study of God is the, it, it, it's the truth about God. And you form conclusions and opinions and unless there's somebody that say yeah but what about this what about that you're you're liable to go off in a wrong direction 
In community, though, we learn well and we learn orthodoxy. I, I want to give you a taste of the privilege of learning in community. Here are the, some of the, group, uh, the questions. I mean, some of the questions that the groups are going to be discussing this week as they reflect on Isaiah 6. Here are three of the four discussion questions. Read Isaiah 6. Just read it together. Can you recall a time when you felt the presence of God in a personal and powerful way? What kind of thoughts and emotions did you experience? Did you encounter, your encounter with the Lord have a lasting effect on you? Now you may think this is a question about emotions and feelings, but it's a theological question about how we know God and hear his voice. That's where we're going with this question. That's the point. Second, the same sun that melts the ice also hardens the clay. Discuss as a group the softening and hardening impact of the gospel for those who hear. Can you think of New Testament verses that speak of both impacts when the gospel is shared with the lost? So you don't have to wrestle with these difficult verses in Isaiah by yourself. You're going to be talking about it in a group and you may think, I can't. And somebody says something and you say, oh, that makes sense. That helps me to understand this better. And last, have you ever been worshiping the Lord? Maybe you're praying, maybe you're reading scripture. When at the very moment you were experiencing his majesty and holiness at a high level, you're tempted with sinful thoughts. I mean, lust, anger, jealousy, greed, whatever. All of a sudden you're just bombarded with thoughts. I've heard some people say, and it makes sense to me, it just seems to be the experience. If you will read the Bible at night before you go to bed, early on it's almost like a cleansing effect. You'll have these horrible dreams for a while. But over time your mind will be cleansed as the word comes into your heart. So why do you think you have these simple thoughts? There's a whole lot to think about there. Why do you think it occurs and how can you respond? such a moment. Those are the kind of things that we talk about in our home groups. Jump in this week. Go to the website. Find one that's meeting close to you. If you've got, if you're one of the families with 14 kids, let the leader know they're going to need to arrange extra child care. An extra child care team, maybe. I affirm huge families. I love them. I want to close this morning with a shortened version of the way we'll begin and close home groups this week. I'm going to ask you if you would just please close your eyes as I read for us Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. <coughs> with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Would you please stand together? Would you remain standing for the benediction?
receive this charge and this blessing this morning. We've met with the Lord. Now it's time to turn and go. As David says, from time to time, we have experienced these moments together as the church gathered. We're still the church, but on this side of eternity, it's scattered. And that's God's plan. And this is why he gives us this blessing via the priests in Israel. Remember today that we know that Jesus is our high priest. You see the hand raised for the blessing on Sunday mornings in a very real way. This is a way of putting a hand on each of your heads. But as a people, it's Jesus who places his hand on you this morning and gives you this blessing. May the Lord make his face to shine on you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, that is his, his smile, that shows that he is pleased with the name that he puts on us. May the Lord give you peace. This was the way that the priest put the name on the children of Israel, his name. And today it's the way that Jesus puts his name on us and sends us. Bow your heads and receive this charge. And in the same way that Isaiah had to stand up and say, here I am, send me. If we have met with the Lord this morning in our hearts, we're saying the same thing. Go in peace with his name on you this morning, preaching the gospel to yourself and to the entire world. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.